I'm Lindsay Curtis, and this is Her Return, a podcast devoted to women making the journey of returning home to their divinely human, feminine essence. Each episode is an opening up of a real-life topic with experiential techniques and tools to support you on your journey home. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, my guest is Michaeline Duclef. PhD and author of one of my favorite parenting books, Hunt Gather Parent. I love this book and Michaeline was so fun to sit down and talk to. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. We're going to touch upon all of the different tools included in the book and ways that we can really raise helpful and confident children. Enjoy. Welcome, 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 Michaeline. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I'm so, so excited for this episode and this magical book that you've created and and given to the world. So thank you for the thing you created and for being here in presence with me. Oh, thank thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. So I found this book a couple years ago and I just like answered a calling for so much um, intuitive and like deep knowing that I had about parenting. And my son is, is currently two and a half. And so I found this when he was just a tiny baby. And I was like, oh yeah, someone, someone told me about the book. Obviously it was definitely recommended. I forget who to thank, uh, right now in this moment, but it came up on my way and I was just like, so grateful that it exists yeah. because it gave me the confirmation I needed in a lot of ways. Um, and I feel like it, it really does weave in so much ancestral deep ancestral yeah. knowledge right because yes. it's yes it's... for sure everyone's right i mean yeah i think sometimes that's been lost in this book is that this isn't one culture's knowledge it, this is really the way we every human has parented these aspects you know um of course we don't know exactly what happened tens of thousands of years ago but there's very good evidence that these elements were there right in my ancestry your ancestry it really is everyone's right so I'm not surprised you feel the intuition. That's how I felt too. You know, it's like, I think it's kind of in our DNA a little bit. Definitely. And with, with media like this, we can really repair the DNA to come back to it. And yeah, for sure. And, and like you say, I think that there's a lot of information in our world, in our society that kind of goes against the intuition, yeah. you know, and we're kind of bombarded with it. And I think that but it's still there. The flame is still there. The knowledge is still there. Right. And so when you see it, it, it just kind of clicks. Like I say in the book, like it feels like, you know, a glove kind of fits your hand perfectly. It's like, oh, this is, this is the way it really is supposed to work. At least that's how I felt when I started trying the things that are in the book. Yeah. I love that. And I love really like the book starts out and you give us context, you give us context and where we are in society. And it was actually the I might have read it before, but it never touched me. It was the first time I came like deeply in intimacy with the acronym WEIRD. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is the first time me, for me too. You know, WEIRD is actually a psychology, really from general psychology, right? The, the psychologists came up with this term, but I first really became acquainted with it in the in the parenting world and the parenting aspect of it. And mm -hmm. In many ways, I think it's most appropriate, more appropriate in that in that field because we really do things that are very, very strange. Um, 
if you look at parenting around the world and throughout history, um, very, very unique. Uh, so, but yes, the weird stands for Western educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. So it's really the middle class, upper middle class, European, European societies. Yes. The way and, we parent. <laughs> and the way and that applied to the way we parent is really unique. And I live I live in Europe. I'm American, but I live in Europe for the last decade. And it's fun because now like I love the book so much. I've started a book club. And then my friend was like, stop with the book club. Like, let us pay you and teach us a class. Cause I <laughs> work with imagery and our inner dreaming. So I really go into the subconscious with the information and we clear what's there. Wow. And, and so that's how we're playing with it. And and it's cool because I'm getting to see the differences as well, because I work with a lot of Europeans and certain things like don't at all phase them, like the praise. The praise wasn't a really big deal to some women because it's just like it's it's not as strong or the knowledge about it isn't as strong or whatever it is. Or, um, yeah, to see the cultural differences, I find so interesting and so much is uh, shared because American culture has as well taken such a mainstream also yeah. social media and parenting like so many so many things are just bombarded from there um and also i mean a lot of the stuff that we do is is old right you can right. In, not ancient but 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 we're talking about things that arose a century a couple centuries i mean some of the key elements are like 500 years old and so you know most of Americans, most white Americans were in Europe, right? When these things, their families, when these things arose. Um, so there is a lot of shared, and but that's fascinating to hear about the differences um, and to see them. My, from my impression, it seems like different shades of gray, you know, it, but, um, but, but yeah, that's fascinating. It is, it is. And it kind of also, like just allows for even more openness to actually what is sure. so much is more common than different anyway. Anyway, we look at most pictures. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure, for sure. Um, and then the fascinating thing is to look at, um, for me, to look at how you across economic mm -hmm. lines, socioeconomic lines, you can. So I recently, about a year and a half, moved to a rural part of America. Mm. much much poorer than um much poorer than san francisco where i lived when i was writing the book uh and it's incredible how there are aspects many aspects of the book here in this little rural texan town both in the the, the latin community the latino community um but also in like the the white european you know a, a poor class um so it, it it's um this weirdness is is not just race, surely defined. It's also kind of class defined, which I I find really fascinating. Definitely, I find there's such a different sense of community and community structure. Yes, um, yes, exactly. That is really can be shocking, um, and we've built as uh, coming from an upper middle class, lower whatever it was. Uh, household, we we have so many walls actually between us and everybody mm. else. Mm, this is so. This is such a fascinating point, which I don't talk too much about in the book. But this this rise of privacy in our lives, mm. which has happened in about last hundred years, and again, it starts in the upper class and then kind of comes down the economic ladder. 
um, this is incredibly strange, mm. right? This idea that like, first of all, that our homes are very isolated. So if you, when you travel around to many communities in the world, homes are porous, right? Like the doors are open, people come in, kids especially come in and out, flow in and out. You know, the, they aren't these castles kind of that we've built where like we we rarely let people in them besides our the, the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within those homes, we've built walls so that everybody has their own room to do everything in. And this is incredibly strange. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of like sleeping and I didn't talk much about this in the book, but I want to write more about this. This idea of like sleeping in separate rooms and a child sleeping in a separate room is, um, I I don't think it's ever happened in history. And I mean, it still doesn't happen today in many places and even, even in rich societies, right? People can't afford it. But um, but but this idea of privacy, right? That we, we need this space that is only ours and then within that, our nuclear family, and then within that space, we need the space that is just ours. Um, that is very new. And I think it has um, a big impact on our mental health because it is not the way people evolved to experience life. And whenever I travel and I come back to when I was living in San Francisco and we had a little condo, you know, this little box, I would just feel this intense lo- loneliness in my in, in me like for days i would cry at night i would cry i just felt this this intense sadness because i was so isolated mm-hmm. from everyone and i mean i wasn't really right i have friends i'm not a like an uh, you know a lonely person but in this society yeah. compared to what it's like in many other places where people are just kind of around all the time mm-hmm. and if you want privacy you have to walk off into the woods or into the bush or you know you have to engage with nature and um Mm-hmm. But you get used to it. You get used to people being around, and it's a it's a wonderful comfort. And it's mm-hmm. what I think a lot of kids need more of that. They need more of people and children being around, and not this just this very isolation that we have. Definitely. Which, um, well, just side note to speak to what you said, I would love you to write more about the um, room sharing, especially in regards to sleeping, because it's the big, huge debate in our house right now, because I can't come up with like better evidence for why our son should be moved out of our room. So I still, <laughs> but my partner doesn't agree. And it's, it's like hot topic. Um, but side note, um, but it's, this- it's one of the reasons why I avoided it a little bit because I didn't want the book to become about sleep. You know, <laughs> I put it at the end. I was like, there's more important things to talk about right now, but it, it is fat. It is a fascinating subject, and I definitely will. I'll write something. But the sleep is awesome too, because when I got the book, I skipped to that last chapter because I was like, "What does she have to say about sleep?" Like, as a new parent, especially, sleep is yes. the hardest, and and, and, yes. and we have made it harder to be together. And you know, anyway, we won't go there though. Okay. But it does bring us to the first letter of the acronym for the team parenting, which yes. is really great, which is togetherness. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, this is, it sounds so simple, right? Like, mm-hmm. of course, of course their children should be with us, right? But <laughs> but then you, if you stop and look at how we parent, we are constantly trying to push them away. We yeah. are constantly trying to get them to do things by themselves. And that is prized, right? Mm-hmm. You did it on your own. Like one of my cousins emailed me and said, it's just so fun watching my toddler learn to do things on his own. And I just found it so fascinating. It, in most societies around the world and throughout history, children did everything with somebody else. 
mm. you know, young children, toddlers, mm. you know, was that was what was valued and seen as like amazing was when they were learning to work together mm. and cooperating. And mm. the, a, a child's instinct from day one is to be with somebody, a human child. And, yeah. and so uh, the first section of the book is really about like, if we want children to cooperate and be helpful as they get older, then we have to encourage and support and love that instinct to be together, right? <laughs> and to work together. And, you know, little children are, everyone says little children, you know, want to be helpful, little ones, toddlers. And that's true. And yet we push them away when they try to help. And that is really kind of the key takeaway from that section of the book is like, when a child wants to be with you and do something with you, embrace that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, one, you're gonna allow them to learn to do a task. Two, you're gonna teach them how to work together with you and cooperate and work as a team. And three, you're just gonna strengthen their motivation and their their drive to be helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but we often do the opposite, right? If like, a, like if a little two-year-old comes over and wants to wash the dishes, and starts throwing the water all around the room, we're like, you know, a lot of parents are like, what are you doing? Get away, you're making a mess. You're slowing me down, you know? But in a lot of societies, parents will say, okay, you're making a mess and you're slowing me down, don't do that. Or let's see if we can do it better. But then they will actually start guiding the child and teaching the child to help with mm. the dishes. There's actually a study that came out after the book came out looking at this with the Maya parents and the Yucatan and the European American parents in Southern California. And it's exactly what I say. Like the little child comes over and tries to, the toddler tries to do the laundry and starts throwing the clothes all around. And the European American parent says, stop it. You're making a mess. Go watch cartoons mm. or go do something else. Go do something on your own. Be by yourself. Um, and the Maya parents say like things like, well, I was a little mad because they're making a mess, but then I'm excited because the kid is showing interest in the laundry and work and helping. And so I tell them, you know, the clothes belong in the basket or we fold the clothes like this. And the parent starts teaching the little tiny toddler how to do the chore. And again, it's doing it together and working together. And um, I think a lot of conflict arises when we try to push children to do things independently and by themselves mm -hmm. before they're ready. Mm -hmm. You know, conflict in the moment, but then we're we're setting up for a trajectory where the child doesn't want to help later or doesn't want to be part of the the team because they've never been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love this in parenting. Like it's such a unique um, space where we can have the the vision, like the big vision. Like my son yeah. is going to be a man someday. Like I'm raising a man. It's crazy, but it's true. It's crazy. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> And I have this little two and a half year old in front of me that is yes. wanting to do this thing. And so it's how do we like, how do we dance with both of them and and yeah. see see the bigger vision of like, yeah, I want him to be really helpful and present and him to be able to look at a room and see what needs to be done and how to interact and to be helpful for his family one day. And not yeah, that exactly. so, uh, another woman doesn't have to trade him. <laughs> right. Yes. For humanity's sake. Yes. Um, but how to, how it really does start very, very, very early. Because now I'm doing the laundry. As soon as I go to the laundry room, he's so excited to come and help me. And he oh. loves to throw the things from the washer up into the dryer. <laughs> like, 
and yes, it's the and funnest we, game. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, that that is still today, Rosie. My daughter's seven now, and the throwing is a big part of the laundry. <laughs> and I mean, it, but it's 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 directed, right? Yeah. Right. It's, it's like, okay, we're going to throw them to each other across the room or something, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, that's a great example where like, it can be fun. You know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be that way. But like if the child, a lot of times children, I see children want to, to help and make it fun. And the parent kind of shuts it down a little bit because it's like, I got to get this done. But it's, you have to ask yourself like a couple extra minutes here and there. Sure. Sometimes you have to get things done. There's no doubt. Right. But you know, a couple extra minutes here and there on the weekends could make a big difference in the long run in, in the child wanting to help six years later, you know, 10 years later. And I also want to say that I think, because there's a lot of talk in America right now about children's mental health. And, and I think this is a big part of ch- children's mental health. I think it gets lost in the discussion, but this idea of like contributing yeah. to something bigger than themselves yeah. and contributing to the family that, keeps them alive, feeds them and protects them. Yeah. I think gives the child this enormous amounts of confidence in feeling like they belong. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm part of this bigger this bigger thing and I I feel better at work when I feel like I'm part of a team. So a little child has to, you know. Definitely. And that it really comes from the inside. Yeah. Because exactly. it's like the foundation is just built into it. So of course, the younger we start, and it doesn't matter what age your child is right now that you're listening to this, everything can be adapted and applied and begun to be cultivated. Which oh, is, for sure. It's really you know, I, people always ask me this, like, well, my kid's 12 and she doesn't want to help. And I always say, like, I used this method with me and my husband. <laughs> 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 like, because I was, when I was writing the book, I was like, look, if my husband and I aren't working together and doing things cooperatively, how, am, how you know, if we're arguing about who's doing the dishes, how is Rosie ever going to want to do the dishes, right? So I got to fix this first. And I did. I used all the methods, like, and, you know, he was, he was like in his 40s. And so a 12-year-old would be no problem. And it's, it's, I just love it because it really does come back and it's coming back and back and back to connection. And it's about yes, creating yes. connection with those that you love and, and you live with. But also what struck me was um, it's, it's connection and, oh, I just lost my train of thought. Yeah, but just just really involving the life around. And so that yes. like you mentioned, like this deep sense of belonging. Exactly. So essential. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I love you name like the three um, keys for motivation, connectiveness, autonomy, yes. and competency. Yes. Yes. And autonomy is a big one. We, you know, it, it's part of the, the team acronym. Um, mm-hmm. Connectiveness, right? No matter what we're, what we're doing, if we feel like we're connected to the people involved, we want to do it more. That's just a human characteristic. Um, and then competency is really interesting, right? Because a lot of times kids want to do things that they're not competent at, especially little ones. And what I found was that a lot of parents around the world will will figure out a task that they can do. Mm-hmm. And, and what I realized, mostly when we were in Tanzania with the Hadzabe was when I really realized this, was like, 
little kids can do the tiniest tasks and it's and it's like huge for them yeah. like i was making it way too complicated i was like rosie set the table or rosie undo the dishwasher with me or like this very kind of big tasks you know and then when we were with the hadzabe the women would just like no matter what we did like we go get the water we go searching for firewood whatever we were doing they would give rosie and me just these tiny tasks like they would just hand rosie a stick and be like carry this mm-hmm. you know or a tiny water bottle or you know go get this bowl mm-hmm. you know go get the baby crying like or go touch you know, play with the baby crying like these very very small tasks mm-hmm. and they were they're enough to mm-hmm. get, to to help her feel included to get her involved to make her feel i did something Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I think we, I think you can, you can really can't make the task too small for a young child. Um, and then even for older children who are practiced at it, right? Mm-hmm. So with my husband, I was trying to get him to cook more. And I used to, you know, why don't you cook more nagging, right? Like, <laughs> you know, I do all the cooking. Why aren't you cooking? And then when I was writing this book, I was like, okay, I'll use the methods. And I'll be like, oh, Matt, come over and talk to me while I cook. And just tell me about your project at work. So he's just talking and da, da 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 da, and then I'm like, "Oh, can you hand me the the onion from the refrigerator?" You know, and then I, you know, can you cut? Can you cut this? Can you can you stir this? You know, and just these little tiny tiny tasks. And over the course of a few months, he starts cooking. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and he doesn't even realize it, right? <laughs> he doesn't realize that I'm trying to get him to do it, right? And and kids are the same. It's just you mm-hmm. know, instead of like set, go set the table, it's like hand them the plate. Go put this on the table, you know, go get the vacuum. So mm. very, so they're competent. They can do them very quickly. They can do them. Um, and, and they're helpful. They're genuinely helpful. Right. So kids love to run and get things. I mean, love, like <laughs> I'm tired and old and I'm, you know, it's like go outside and get this, go down the street and get this, like mm. the best there. Cause there's autonomy there too. Right. Mm. I love that. And, and, um, how did Matt feel when he read the book and realized how much you were shaping his behavior? (laughs) I think he didn't realize that so much. I mean, that's a big part of the book too, is like, so that's the E in team is the encourage, right? Like you're encouraging, but not forcing. And so it was, it's very soft. It's very soft and gentle. One of the moms said, it's like soft, but constant, (laughs) (laughs) right? And so it can be a lot of pressure, but you don't feel it so much because it's, you know, um, I didn't really, he didn't really read, the, he told me he hadn't read the book. And then one day Rosie was on the roof of our condo. She used to do it a lot. And um, oh what he said to her, but he said something and she came down. I think he said, he asked her a question mm-hmm. or he, he told her the consequence. And I was like, wow, like that was really good parenting. And like, cause she just came right down. There was no conflict. You know, she, he, it was just like from like chapter 12 of the book, you know? And I was like, wow, Matt. And he's like, I know, chapter 12. And he like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, so you did read the book. <laughs> Bless. So, I know. <laughs> so but you know, his from his perspective, life just got a lot better. Yeah. I mean, he even said that like at one point, he was like, we can't go back. Mm. You know, like the arguing goes away, right? You're talking about connectiveness, but you're also decreasing conflict right so you're building this connectiveness but then these methods like also take away a lot of conflict which is a key part of of what i wanted to do you know you're swapping cooperation swapping out conflict and swapping in cooperation so it's like a double double improvement 
Mm. Well, I guess that also brings us to the whole beautiful section that we have about anger. And I must say, like, I read this and I... I do. I'm a therapist. And so I work so much with emotional and everyone's emotions, et cetera, et cetera. I read this chapter and I cried like not chapter, but section. I cried the whole time, just imagining what it would be like to live in an Inuit. Um, yeah. Bio society where anger yeah. is never directed at kids. And I was like, our entire world would be so different because everyone's just repeating the same their own intergenerational trauma around and yelling and, and this lack of emotional intelligence. So I found it so, so, so great to have like this real example of, wow, like it actually could be like that. For sure. And actually every time I leave, I've been up there now four times and every time I leave, I cry on the plane because of this, because I don't want to leave that society. I don't want to go back to this like world filled with anger. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing. And I mean, and it's not even just not directed at kids. It's like not really directed at anybody. Yeah. I mean, the anger does exist and there is anger, but it's just so much less common, so rare, you know? Mm-hmm. And what happens, I think, is I'm bracing I, all the time for like mm-hmm. somebody to get angry at me you know, because that's how I was raised, is less like this here in the rural community. But in San Francisco, I was just bracing for for anger to come at me. And um, when I'm in the Arctic and in other some other communities too, that 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 bracing goes away. Mm. Um, and so I that's what I I think a lot of kids feel, and I hope Rosie doesn't feel. Um, she doesn't feel it as much as I I have. Um, that's a big goal of mine is to like raise her in a home where she doesn't have that feeling like she's always kind of going to step on something and get yelled at, you know? Yeah. Mm. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And what a beautiful motivator, right? To do the work. Yes. And and for sure. I mean, it's so great that you've been able to bathe in the societies where it's just a thing. So you absorb that. Um, and then yeah, and see the women like, and mostly women, because I was around mostly women, but you know, but see women respond to really hard situations with children. Like in the book, you know, one of the kids is scratching the grandma's cheek, it's yeah. like bleeding, and to see her respond in a in a very calm, peaceful, kind way to this 18 month old child is really powerful, right? To be able to see it, because then it's like, oh, okay, I, I could do that. Yeah you know um i know i when i after i wrote the section the inuit section i would go back and read it to like bring my mind back into that mode and um but it does get easier if you practice the things in the book it gets easier i'm i'm not saying i never yell but like a hundredth of the amount (laughs) beautiful i i had the experience one time where um because I love it actually what what you give as examples as well, like parenting with awe, stepping away. These are things that are really, really um, just part of the lineage that I am within, within the Kabbalah. Of life. There's like stopping with the emotion and transforming it, actually. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. And so these are things that I've practiced. But then reading it in a different context really related to parenting helped me be like, okay, bring this to life. 
And it works. It works when I remember that I'm the parent and I'm the adult. I'm not even the parent. Like I have to remember that I'm the adult and it's my job to take the pause because my son's not going to. And then as soon as I walk away, as soon as I turn, the energy shifted because there's no longer a struggle. The two of us aren't there. It's very fascinating. Um, I mean, for me, a big part of it is, um, well, a couple things. There's like, one learning to have less anger in the first place mm-hmm. like that is a that is a key key thing because it's it's very hard if you're already angry right if you're have already like created yeah. this like this physiological response in your body and like you know it, it, even for adults it's hard it's you have to step away otherwise there's not really much you can do right yeah. at that point yeah um and so that's i mean that's not what the inuit culture does so much is more about viewing the child in a way and other people too that that generates less anger in you in the first place so you you don't create that physiological response you don't create what your brain is interpreting as anger that's a huge chunk of it and then the Mm. other chunk of it is really practicing other emotions because Mm. we in the last like 10 years neuroscientists have really figured out that like the motion your brain chooses is a lot, it's very subconscious, but it's based largely on what your previous response was to these situations. Yeah. Your brain is like a machine that just repeats itself, mm-hmm. right? And we in European societies practice so much anger, so much of these negative emotions that, that of course, our brain chooses them, right? Mm-hmm. But if you go out and actually practice on a daily basis for like five, five minutes a day some alternative emotions mm-hmm. you know can, your brain will actually start to choose those mm-hmm. more often so mm-hmm. for instance like this was like a year and a half ago you know rushing to get rosie after school she was like five and you know, i don't know there were just the school the school business early on is just a hot mess i think for a lot of people you know and it's like shoes and da da da. it's just like this whole thing and by the time i'm like in the car getting ready to go i'm just want to yell at her you know i just want to yell i'm like so full of frustration and anger and then i looked up you know it's like 7 30 and i looked up and there's this like beautiful full moon mm. and i have been practicing since like 2019 with rosie the feeling of awe Mm-hmm. This, this beautiful emotion, awe, right? This very positive emotion. And because I have been practicing it and making like an effort to it, I could I could feel over time that I could grab it mm. when I when I needed it, when mm. I was going to like boil over. And I just looked up at the moon and like all of that anger in me kind of just kind of shut down. And I was just like, oh my God, Rosie, look at the moon. <laughs> like, it was amazing. And it was incredible how like both of us just all that negative energy, I don't know. It just, the the feeling of all makes you kind of step back from your problems, right? It makes you kind of see something bigger than you and 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 it's, it's what it did. And so that's been a huge part of me, like, mm. and the anger is like cultivating other emotions that can come in and, and take the place of these very negative ones, mm. but also changing my view of the child and their, and, and, and her motivations so that I'm not angry at her. That was, that was where the turn really went, came. Mm. And I feel like this has a lot to do with um, understanding child development a bit. Like I love that it was like, it's a baby, like they're a child, they're meant to be wild and crazy and do nonsense all the time. And just like understanding that because so often we hear adults be like, 
um, just have such high expectations for their behavior, actually, when the child has no capacity to meet that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like these very complex psychological yeah. abilities, right? <laughs> that are put on like 18 month olds, you know, or even that like your child, like your child is uh, manipulating you when they're or that, so that's the other thing we do is we put these incredibly nefarious motivations <laughs> on like babies, even yeah. like my sister even said something like she's just a baby, but she's already controlling you, Michaeline. <laughs> and like, I mean, and people say this and they're serious, yeah. you know, and in like, oh, she's pushing your buttons. She's yeah. manipulating you. She's pushing boundaries, like all these very like sinister things. Mm-hmm. There's no data on this, right? There's no like, there's no ex- the psychologists and child development scientists have no data on this. this these are myths that our culture has created, and mm-hmm. in un- un- unfortunately, stories, right, that we tell, and unfortunately, they have consequences on how we treat the child, yeah, right? Because like, if you, if you're thinking that a person, no matter who they are, is 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 manipulating you and controlling you and doing all these very like, you know, kind of sinister things, your response is going to be very different than if you think, oh, the child is just, you know, emotionally immature, wild, doesn't understand what they're doing. It's just this little irrational creature. Yeah. Right. Like that's going to bring pity and empathy, possibly, you know, at least some, at least a more neutral response. Um. Versus like, you know, she's manipulating you and is going to make you defensive and feel personally attacked. And and so that was a huge turning point for me, too, was to just I would just say out loud, even to my husband, like she doesn't know what she's doing. She can't handle the situation emotionally. And this is all she knows how to do. Like she doesn't mean it. You know, she'd even like be um, slapping one time. She even like slapped me in the face. And and, and I just said that it's like she doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah. And me responding to her like that versus me getting angry, mm-hmm. like completely de-escalated the situation. Right. You know, and within like a month, she had the tantrums had like gone away after I stopped responding in this very negative way. This, you know, taking these these behaviors as very personal and like with her having very nefarious motivations. Mm-hmm. It was like I, like I could the first time I did it, the first time I said I said to my husband, I said, she, she just doesn't know what she's doing. She, she's irrational. She doesn't, she can't handle this. The look on Rosie's face the first time that happened, like, was incredible to me because she was just like, mm-hmm. whoa, like, you know, mom's not going to get mad this time. She's not going to get angry. Like, mm-hmm. like it kind of just like neutralized it. And I could see almost relief on her face. And in a way, I feel like what what really feels so true for me is that it's actually respectful. Yes. And like, we all just want to be deeply seen and deeply loved, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like at that point, a lot of children just have no clue. There's something happening to them around them that they can't handle, mm-hmm. right? They don't have the tools to handle. And mm-hmm. and so their only really, you know, understanding or ability at that point is to scream and cry. That's what they do as babies, right? Yeah. They all become like toddlers and then they stop that, you know, that so... And the the Inuit moms would say, you know, it's your job to then show them how to behave, mm-hmm. to show them the yes. response, right? And if I'm yelling and angry or screaming back or whatever, then I'm just showing her that, that okay, this response is okay, and this is how we deal with things, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm like one of the moms said, um, you need to be the rock in their storm, 
Mm. Right? Like when they're having a storm, you're the rock. And mm. if I'm that rock, then eventually she'll become, she'll come over to the rock with me. And mm. it totally works. There's no doubt in my mind it works because I've seen it in like multiple continents. And now I've seen it with my daughter, right? Because she's seven now. Mm. And she's, she doesn't, I mean, sometimes she has tantrums very rarely, but she's, she has very good emotional regulation. I mean, way better than I had, even in, in my adulthood. Mm. Beautiful. I love that. Seeing the fruits of the work be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've become more convinced of the book and what's in the yeah. book as time goes on. Because, <laughs> you know, it's sometimes when she was little, I was like, oh, God, she's never going to like, you know, figure out how to voluntarily help. And she's never going to just seems so slow. But um, no, it it, it, it works. Mm. And I love how we can continually apply the principles as the age is gone. So I wanted to see like, how are you now with, do you still use um, stories for discipline? Like, are there any monsters currently in your home? That's a very interesting question. You know, the stories kind of went away like a year ago. Okay. Um, They were like central in our lives from like age three to about six. Yeah. And then she kind of didn't need them as much. Yeah. Like yeah. it was really fascinating to me. And she also kind of knew, like she started knowing, and that's the age when they start to know that like, it's not real. Like yeah. she would tell me like, I know it's not real mom. I know you're just telling me that. So I'll do this. <laughs> <laughs> but the the truth is like, she doesn't, they're not, not needed because I can communicate with her more, right? She's better at understanding things and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I had thought about that recently, like that the, the monsters had gone away, but we, but she still loves them. I mean, she still loves stories, right? We still, we still love story. Yeah. But most of the other tools are there. The dramas we do, we do yeah. every now and then we'll like, if we're really stuck on something, I'll ask her like, you be me and I'll be you, that type of drama. And, mm-hmm. and those work so well. Uh-huh. I, I like, it gets out so much tension. I think that that for me, that's what the dramas are about for us, for our family is like when there's some built up tension between us about a topic, Mm -hmm. like acting it out, like really helps kind of clear the slate a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of the other stuff in the book, I think, what what other ones are you curious about? Um, Well, because a lot of them I can't try yet because Isaiah is still a bit too young for the dramas. They consequences were starting but um the 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 questions puzzle questions i'm like who, oh yes who made a mess and he goes <laughs> <laughs> okay well i guess yeah but <laughs> doesn't really do anything yet <laughs> fascinating fascinating the look yeah i can't i the look doesn't i don't i don't have a look yet do you have a look have you messed? oh yeah for sure the look is super powerful at all ages <laughs> You gotta yeah, get the yeah. look. You gotta get the look. Yeah. I don't know what um, I have to do. <laughs> um I mean the questions are really good also for just planting seeds. Yeah. You know, like who made a mess? Oh, who who's gonna clean up the mess? You know, I mean they're yeah. like who you know, like it, it a lot of times the questions, unless it's directly something they can do in the moment. I yeah, I use the questions all the time and the consequences too. Like, I don't know. one day she was like a couple days ago, she was like jumping. Oh, I'll give you a really good example of the questions. So like, I think this was last year. So she was like six and she, it was like a Sunday afternoon and she came over with these like 
champagne glasses that are like 20 some years old. My husband and I have been married for a long time. And not much has survived during this 20 some year period except these champagne glasses. And I was just like, you know, I was like, she's gonna, she's gonna break these champagne glasses. That was what I thought. And the old Michaeline would have just been like, what are you doing? Put the shit, you know, like screamed at her. And then yeah. I know she would have just thrown the champagne glasses. <laughs> right. Or dropped Exactly. But the new Michaeline was like, one, you know, there's this idea that like the motivations are good. The mm-hmm. motivations in children are good. Like this is a key element of changing your relationship with the person. A child is like really believing that they, they're good and they love you and they want to help you. Mm. And so I said, I just stopped and I said, what are your plans for those classes? Mm. Kind of like, you know, and, and she said, oh, I'm going to make a special drink for you and dad at tonight dinner. Oh. <laughs> I know. And you know what? I was like, oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. You know, they're delicate. The glasses are delicate. Mm. And she did. She made this beautiful drink and didn't break the glasses. And it was a moment that could have been this awful thing, right? This like awful fight, right? Oh. And and inside her was this incredibly kind gesture, mm. you know, voluntarily like doing something. Mm. And if I had this idea that she was going to break them and she was just playing with them I would have just ruined it right I would have just over it and and extinguished that that desire that desire and want to help and contribute and participate you know so the questions are crucial (laughs) that story it's so good and it really encapsulates because I wanted to touch on like the idea of self-governance and really respecting a child's desire and and allowing that to flourish and and their true autonomy yeah their autonomy expressing yeah. their desire uh to create yeah. and to interact and to be like helpful contribute. humans yeah contribute so it's so, yeah. so beautiful like taking that pause step ask a question be curious and then see what happens mm. yeah i mean cuz i still like a part of me really still thought she was going to do something bad but I didn't <laughs> put that on her. You know, mm-hmm. the question allowed me to kind of not put that on her and have a more open mind about what was going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Autonomy is huge. I think autonomy, if you could do like one thing for your child in their future, it, I, the psychologist said this, I have put it in the book. Um, it really, you, it's really, she says you give your child autonomy, but I, I, I will expand that and I will say it is, you will you learn how to give your child autonomy mm. because of many parents most parents in america that i see don't including myself you know before this book don't know how to give a child autonomy don't even really know what it is because mm-hmm. i didn't know what it was really until i saw it and then yeah. you know everywhere we went and then i was like wow this is very different than what i thought it was and there's some easy things you can do to learn it um one of the the things you can do is you can record yourself with your child interacting with them and see how many times you're telling the child what to do mm-hmm. and giving them feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to a child that really has autonomy is told something maybe two times an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is when you're really interacting with the child, right? You're not, they're not watching TV or, you know, you, you're doing something with them. You're near them. That's autonomy. Mm-hmm. Letting the child be. You know, you're with them, you're working with them, 
you're maybe helping them physically, you're giving them a look, you're, you're, you're observing and making sure they're safe. But the child is choosing their motion, their movements, their their activities, their you know, and and you can measure it by by calculating, counting how many commands you give a child per hour, and then try to give them one to three. That's wonderful homework for us all. Thank you for that little. Chat. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. Try it. Start with twenty minutes. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll record. Oh, so um, good. I have, to, I have to run like super soon. Yes. I'm sorry. This has been such a great conversation. I know it's been so good. And I thank you so much for this time and for this amazing book. And so tell us how we can connect with you and where, yeah, where we can find you and what's up next. <laughs> yeah. So I'm writing another book. I just am yes. in the middle of signing the deal and it's about um, dopamine in children's brains. Okay. So it's going to be a different switch, but, but some, some more neuroscience and, mm -hmm. um, and then I'm writing another book, actually. So I'm writing two books. Um, that one goes back to like ancient, our past, in our bodies. So Ooh. yeah, so similar vein is Hunt-Gather Parent, but about our bodies. And um, I'm kind of off social media right now. I've been taking a break after studying dopamine kids' brains. I'm like, I'm gonna end. But you can definitely email me. My email is, is easy to find. Um, and I, I try to respond. And um, I'm hoping to have some classes in the next couple months so if you email me then i will i will email you about that so awesome thank you so much it was such a pleasure to talk with you mm, such a such a pleasure thank you so much for being here i'm lindsay curtis and thank you for listening to her return the podcast if you've enjoyed today's exploration please take a moment and write a review for the podcast wherever you are listening. Written reviews really support getting more listeners to this content, as well as booking more powerfully inspiring guests. And if you're ready to dive into your own creativity and embodying more of your soul's goodness and living your desires, then head over onto my website at www.herreturn.com and sign up for my email list to be informed of upcoming opportunities. May you return home to yourself today.